Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. we got a great program for you today. Many women and men trapped in sexual sin believe will is the temptation, but your shaky self-discipline doesn't have to be the source of your strength. Sharing from his personal struggles, Garrett Kell explains that lifelong transformation rests in the supernatural power of the Savior and the support of a local church. He offers profound insights into Jesus' teachings on purity and provides with long-term strategies for your own pathway to freedom. Written for both men and women struggling with temptation, this book is a vital resource for the church, encouraging a healthy, empathetic community to help brothers and sisters in Christ resist sin. The goal isn't purity for purity's sake, but delighting in God and trusting him for ultimate victory. And here to talk about that new book, Pure in Heart, Sexual Sin and the Promises of God, is Garrett Kell, who's a pastor at Delray Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia, and author of a few books, including this new one. Garrett, welcome to the podcast. What's good, Jed? Good to be on. Yeah, so this is, you just told me, this is day two of your sabbatical. It is. What a day off, man, that you would spend it with me doing this podcast. <laughs> well, um, I asked my wife, and I got a couple passes for a few things, and this is one of them. Okay. So, okay. Uh, yeah, that must mean she likes you, so praise God. <laughs> yeah, so day so day two, already back at work. <laughs> yeah, I don't consider this work, man. To be honest okay. with you, hanging out with friends, uh, even if it's virtually, there's just something yeah. about that that gives gives life to the soul. So this is this is easy in this in the sense of it's enjoyable, brother. So yeah. Good. Yeah. Well. Okay. So how long is the uh, is is the sabbatical? Well, it was scheduled to be five weeks. We have a policy that it accrues certain amount of time for for however long we serve, and um, I was supposed to be five weeks, but uh, it's, it's been a hard few years, and uh, we have we have really good elders, brother. I'm so thankful to serve with people who are concerned about my own soul and my walk with the Lord and uh, a longevity in ministry. So they, they said, bro, you need to take a full two months and we got you. Fear not. You'll be, the church will probably be better while you're gone. So and I totally agree. <laughs> that's good news. So, yeah, I don't know about that, but that man, that's incredible. That's, that's great. Yeah. Two months is a wonderful, wonderful gift. I wish more pastors, in fact, um, not to rabbit trail, but if you had to encourage pastors to begin this conversation with their churches, how how would you sort of guide them in, in bringing it up to their board of elders, deacons, or whoever sort of would need to hear uh, something about a sabbatical policy? Yeah, I think first thing you want to do is pray. You know, the Lord's got to, this is going to be something that's going to convict, uh, be convicted of by the Lord. Uh, secondly, I think you want to be just honest about your own soul. Don't act like you've got it all together and be the one who bears everything. You're, we're the one who, as you say, points to that guy. Jesus is the one who is ultimately strong enough. So I think being honest with them about your struggles along the way will be be helpful. And then um, yeah, I'd point to some good resources just about sabbaticals. Ask them to read, and let's just talk about it. Um, and uh, just off the top of my head, I don't have any, but I know you've you've put together a few resources on sabbaticals. I've even pointed our our brothers to to those. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think you, you start the conversation like that. Yeah, it's great um, to have advocates for you in in the congregation, and mm-hmm. that was something that um, I try to do at Liberty Baptist for our pastors. I'm not an elder there, but for our vocational pastors in particular, um, 
you know, kind of spearheading it from, you know, from the congregation, I think, um, I think carries, a, you know, some weight for folks. And it does. Uh, yeah. And thankfully, our church, you know, unanimously passed a sabbatical policy and uh, we got our pastor at his uh, year seven, some significant some uh, significant time away. Um, all right. So, okay, let's talk about Pure in Heart, brother. Um, I know this book comes from uh, a personal place for you. Um, like a lot of us, you have struggled in this area uh, in the past. And I wonder if you could, you, you share your story a little bit in the beginning uh, of the book. I wonder if you could kind of give us some of that, some of that background. What's the, yeah. how, how is this book personal for you and not just academic fighting, you know, lust kind of thing? Sure. Well, I became a Christian when I was 21. Um, I've just recently passed the halfway mark. I've been a, a Christian longer than a non-Christian, which is a nice. it was a sweet kind of milestone. But I still remember the f- the first time that I saw pornography. I was in fifth grade. A friend had had called me up to his his room. He's like, "Hey, look, I I got this from my dad's room." And you know, man, I could I could probably still bring it up in my mind what was on that page. I just remember the light shining in and seeing it, and it awoke something in me. Um, a corrupted curiosity about good desires, right? We have desires. God makes us sexual beings. Sex in and of itself isn't evil. It's a good gift from a good creator, but it awoke something in me that was corrupted. And I just followed that my whole time uh, being a non, non-believer. And then after I became a Christian, I had a brief respite where I just really thought, oh, wow, this is great. I don't struggle with this anymore. And then, you know, um, the normalcy of walking with Jesus and still having your abiding flesh, uh, flesh set in. And I just didn't know what to do with that. There was a lot of shame and guilt associated with that. I, did, I just, I thought that I shouldn't be struggling in this way. And for me, my path went down pastoral ministry pretty quickly in a way that, again, I, I'm not sure it was, uh, it would be advisable, uh, if we were redoing it, probably would do it differently, <laughs> but the Lord, the Lord knows, and he works in the midst of the mess. But I formed a pattern early on in my Christian life and particularly the first three years of pastoring a church in Texas where I would look at pornography and then feel deeply grieved by it, delete my search history, tell a friend, hey, I'm sorry, I want to let you know I struggled a little bit, but things are better. Um, And that was basically the depth of my confession. And I would spread those out with different friends for for three years, basically, until um, 2007. Um, when a dear friend of mine named Reed Monahan, I'm not sure if you know Reed or not. But, I do know Reed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he, um, he and I were thinking about planting a church together in, in New Jersey called uh, Jacob's Well. And he, um, we sat down and I kind of shared with him everything where I'd been in my struggle. Cause I felt like I wanted to be honest with him. And he had one of the hardest conversations that I've ever had in my life where he looked, I mean, through tears, he said, well, I love you, but I do not in good conscience feel like we can move forward in planting this church together. And and to be honest with you, I don't think you're qualified to be a pastor. And he challenged me to humbly and honestly go back and be honest with the elders of the church that um, I was serving at at the time. And uh, that began the hardest year of my life. Um, I call it the year of the anvil, where you know anvil is something that you lay lay something on and just kind of beat it into shape. And the, <laughs> the Lord, uh, yeah, the Lord took me down down a dark path that I had man, but he he walked with me. Right. And, um, I remember sitting on in, in front of the congregation. Um, the elders had encouraged me to, to tell the congregation what I'd been doing. And it was like all of my greatest fears came to pass. Like every, the whole reason I had not been honest is because I was, a, 
I wanted people's approval. I, I was I was afraid of what they would think of me. I was afraid of what they would think of Jesus. So it was good motives and bad motives all mixed together. And I just sat on that stage and I walked them through everything. And uh, you know, Jared, it was it was the worst. It was the worst. But it was also the best. Like what happened in that moment and the days after that with the the confessions and the crushing and the all of the aftermath and the consequences. Like there's there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but there are there are consequences for our sin. Sure. And I the Lord walked me through it though. And brother on the other side, uh I got him, you know, I yeah. got him. And there's nothing better than him. And uh I'm I'm thankful for that. It was a, it was a hard yeah. year, but a good one. Were were you married at the time? So I was not. I was okay. um I was dating and engaged, broke off that, and then my now wife, Carrie, um, uh, we met in the midst of, of all of that. She was actually with me when Reed called me out. I had been honest oh, wow. with her and kind of shared everything with her. So she knew where I was, and there had been like a, you know, about a nine-month period of, of walking in, in humility and, and holiness, but um, she was there with that. She was there through the whole time with confessing to the, the church and everything that, that happened in the church, both hard and good after that. So she uh she was there with me in the midst of all that yeah 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 it's it's kind of it's it's interesting how similar my own story is with yours just the parallel same deal so fifth grade kid brought on the school bus a magazine mm -hmm. from from his dad's stash and same thing just that was my first taste and that those images just kind of latched into my brain and i can recall them even to this day Mm -hmm. um, as well. And it began that secret and that was before internet, you know, but then once I had the internet, um, this thing that had just kind of like dormant, you know, I had access to and what, you know, the Lord, I think spared, spared a church from me. Cause at the time I'd been in ministry before, but, um, at the time where my life imploded, the doors to ministry had been shut. And actually I didn't understand why, like I was kind of confused about, you know, I believe the Lord's called me to this. I, I think I'm gifted for this. Why can't I? Well, I wasn't qualified, but I, I didn't even think in those categories. Yeah. And, and, and what it cost me at that time was, um, you know, my wife's heart, basically I crushed, you know, my marriage and, mm -hmm. and it's only by God's grace that, you know, I'm not divorced sure. uh, because at you... that time it was just everything imploded. But that was, as you said, yeah. that was the means that the Lord used to show me if you have Christ, you know, coming out of that, the, yeah. the beauty of the gospel in the midst of the worst time of my life. Yeah. Um, how long were you married? Everything. How long were you married when all that happened? Um, so it would have been six years, yeah. seven years, something like, yeah, six years. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it was just, you know, for her, it was just a, a, a felt sense of betrayal and um, that I'm not the person she thought I was and, and, you know, all of that sort of thing. Yeah. But, you know, and then the Lord was able to, of course, as he's able, you know, all, you know, he's able to do all things to stitch us back together through, you know, out of the rubble of that and certainly took some time. But to be at the sweetest place was, you know, we've ever been today. But mm -hmm. um, I don't know. So this, I was, you know, explaining this to a friend this last weekend that um, if I had to do it all over again, right, I don't understand people who say they have no regrets. It makes, it makes no sense to me. <laughs> Only yep. sociopaths have no regrets. <laughs> so I look back and think, man, if I had to do it all over again, I would have done it completely differently. I'd be, sure. you know, I would, I would have spared her and myself all of that pain. But 
I don't know that without that, I would be, you know, to the extent uh, committed to the gospel and gospel centrality as I am today, because it didn't come out of, I read a book or went to a conference or saw a website. It came out of, yeah, the rubble, the smoking crater of my life. That was the same thing for me, because during that time, one of the agreements for me to stay on there at the church, um, because I walked through a whole restoration process and stayed there another three years. Part of the, for for me, that was the path the Lord had, and I'm thankful for that. One of the things that I I went to a a biblical counselor, a guy named John Henderson, and he was the first brother who showed me how the gospel applies to believers. Mm. Like I always kind of, I would have said that, yeah, I would have checked that box, but I didn't know what it meant for the gospel to apply to brokenness and weakness and just all of that. And I, it was life-giving and it changed me. So yes, I, there are tons of regrets that I have, but I am so thankful for a sovereign God who works all things together for the good, both in this life and in the life to come. Many times we don't see it in this life, uh, but sometimes we get little glimpses and I'm, I'm grateful for that. So yeah, it's a good word. Yeah. The, what you just said, I think is important for introducing the next question I have, which is we're used to thinking, Christians are used to thinking of the gospel as the power to forgive sin, which it, which of course it is. The gospel announces the forgiveness of sins uh, found in Christ Jesus. But if you're not thinking on the level of the gospel is power, is validation, um, it, that it's the imputation of Christ's righteousness, those sorts of things, that it's for the believer as much as it is for the lost person. Mm-hmm. Then when you try to manage, well, then when you try to deal with sin, it's a lot about managing. You get up in that cycle of, well, I confess, I get, I get forgiveness, and you end up in this kind of vicious cycle. So in your book, I think you pull sort of the, I don't know, the the mask back, so to speak, um, not just to show the the power of the gospel, but also the power of sin. What is it about sexual immorality, not just pornography, but the lure of adultery and all those sorts of things, what is it that we don't, that Christians don't often get? We, we know that it's a sin on this, and I think we, we can talk about it in the behavioral sense, but what's really going on in the heart? Like pornography isn't simply about lust, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it is about lust, but it's not just that. There's, there's other things in the root there. Yeah. What is it about, about sexual sin you think underneath that we need to kind of get at with the gospel? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, right? And I'm I'm not here to rank sins. All sins are are grievous before a holy God, right? But there is something unique where Paul says that we sin against our own body, and and there's a way that sexual sin is is unique. And I think what it has to do is the the issue of intimacy. So in 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 God designed sexuality to be this picture, this metaphor of the intimacy that he has with his people. There's, a, there's an indwelling. The Spirit is in us and fills us, and there's joy, and there's life, and there's more life that comes from that, which, you know, you can think about how that's a, a metaphor for the intimacy that God gives with a, a husband and a wife. And, and what sexual sin is, is it, it takes that thing that we're created for, this intimacy, uh, affection, being known, sir, all of that, and it it twists it and it makes it about self and it gives us illusion. I mean, that's why like the thing about pornography for me, I always, it was most appealing when I felt most entitled and I felt like affirmation wasn't coming from somewhere else. And it was this lie of, I want you and I'm for you. And it, 
it's such a lie, but it, it, it pulled on something I was designed for, which God ultimately fulfills that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you can get really weird in your interpretation of all of that, but I do think there's something about the fact that we were created for intimacy. The spirit dwells in us. And when we use the body to then unite in some sort of sinful way that, that scratches some of those itches, if you will, that, that, um, that seeks to replace that. I think there's something really powerful there. Um, and I haven't, you know, I, I haven't touched the bottom of, of that, but um, I, I think there's something there that only God can ultimately satisfy for us. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I mean, you know, obviously there's, there's issues of, you know, what's the illusion, but the issues of, of, of acceptance, of validation, mm-hmm. of, of, of approval, that was a big one for me. Yep. And you have this fantasy world of I'm delighted in, yep. um, you know, which is so twisted when you, you know, because it's such a, a synthetic fake. Yep. It's not real at all. Impersonal, you know, approach to that. So now how does, um, you know, in your book, you talk about um, how you apply now the gospel to these things, which, of course, gets to the, the deeper root of uh, addressing these sins. How do we. How have we battled these sins in the past um, that you, in, in ways that you think maybe, you know, they may be good for short term success, sure. but don't get at the root? And w- what approach do you bring in terms of, of purity, the purity of heart that, that we're seeking? Um, I know for me, uh, my experience was that purity was basically an end in itself that I wanted to not look at porn for, you know, however many days. Um, and then that was going to be victory. Um, or I wanted to not masturbate or I wanted to not hook up with a girl or I wanted to not commit adultery. And, you know, we wanted to not give in to same sex attraction or whatever the thing may be for us. That's the pull. Like it's just the line. Now I want to be really clear. We don't want to cross lines. It's, it's sinning to commit those things. But when just simply, um, checking those boxes and keeping within the, the lines becomes the goal over time, like that, that'll work for a little bit, but there's no life there. There's no power. There's no joy there because Jesus says in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. See, purity is intended to be a means to an end, not an end in itself. The, the, it's a means to seeing God, to knowing God. So, so when I'm tempted to, to look at something sexually explicit, the, the promise, a temptation is a promise. Like there's going to be satisfaction. There's going to be affirmation. There's going to be fulfillment. There's going to be worth it. You deserve it. Like there's all of that coming at me that it has very immediate um, rewards, right? Um, and sin is enjoyable. That's why you don't have to tell people to do it. Like we, we want to do it. But then <laughs> the Lord says, I actually, I'm better than that. So I'm going to give you a promise. He gives us a promise. Satan gives a promise, fire with fire. Here comes Jesus's promise that no, there's a true joy that comes, you know, John 15, that comes through abiding and obeying and looking to me. And purity of heart, which shows itself in purity of life, is the pathway to knowing him. And over time, you know, it's sometimes resisting temptation in the moment is really difficult. And we're like, I don't But (laughs) Jared, there's never been a moment um, I can think of a time a few weeks ago where I was really tempted um, to to look at at something explicit, and I resisted by the grace of God and with the help of some brothers and sisters and my, my wife and some some brothers. And um, I do not regret <laughs> I do not yeah. regret that obedience. I never, but I can't, there's not a time I look back on sinning compromise and I'm thankful for it. Um, mm. 
And I think we have to keep that perspective. Um, and that, 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 I think there's a lot of power there when God's the end and we get him and we get to know him, there's, there's joy there. Yeah. Yeah. What would you want um, people to know about your book? How, how is it? Because there's so many books out there on this subject and, you know, how to address it and how to fight and books on, you know, pornography. And and I know your book's not just on pornography, but um, what's unique, what fresh angle do you, do you bring? Um, well, first of all, I would say there's a lot of really good resources out there and praise God for that. Um, as a pastor, one of the things I didn't feel like I had was just a resource that I could give anybody in our church. So oftentimes books are either for men or sometimes for women, but oftentimes they're neglected in this. Um, and oftentimes it feels very individualistic. It's not as corporate in nature. Okay. So th- this book is intended to be like, how do we as a church help one another toward holiness? What does it mean to ha- cultivate a community in, in the church where we are helping each other to heaven is the, the phrase that I always use, where we're locking arms and helping each other look to Jesus. So that's what this is intended to be. It's intended to be a resource for the church that both brothers and sisters, uh, people who are either struggling actively or you're trying to help somebody struggle, um, that that's, that's who this is, is for. And again, that shows that the end is Jesus himself. So one of the mm-hmm. secrets, one of the secrets about this book is certainly it's about sexual sin, but it's mostly about how do you grow as a Christian? Um, mm-hmm. and it's through the lens of the, this battle in per- particular. And, um, you know, I originally just wrote it for the, for our church and I gave it to them and had them read it and they gave me feedback on how to make it better. And, um, a, a group of about 80 brothers and sisters actually wrote all the discussion questions in the back to try and help others to think through this topic. So it's intended to, to serve churches. That's great. Well, and I think it's important for people in your position, people in my position to talk about, about this issue too, because it kind of gives permission. I mean, one thing that I noticed, I'm sure you've noticed it is this just sort of lays underneath the surface because it's embarrassing. It's, 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 you know, shameful if you're struggling with something or even just the temptation, the, it's something that we don't want to share because of the, the, you know, I guess the stigma may be the word, but then it, 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 it grows in the dark, right? This Mm -hmm. sexual sin really flourishes in the dark. So you keep in the dark because you're afraid to say anything. So then it takes somebody, a leader, somebody with some clout to say, I've struggled with this. Let's talk about this. And suddenly you start seeing, you know, you give permission sure. for people to speak freely about it. And now you're bringing things into the light that you could actually you right. know, deal with and, 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 and fight. So it's a commendable thing, I think, to discuss yeah. it. Um, you know, and, what will it take? You know, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, and one of the things we want to be careful of is to not just create a culture of honesty, Right. an honesty that leads to repentance because that's that's one of the that's one of the things I see often today is people are like yeah I'm, and they'll be honest about their struggles but there's no real like okay now what's the game plan and that's what the second half yeah. of the book is really about it's about how do you develop a game plan to tailor like if Satan has schemes to try and get you what are your schemes to fight against it um, yeah. and let's how do we develop that together so that we yes we're honest but now we're going to repent and lean into the grace of God for the strength to do that so that we can walk in holiness and know that we don't have to do what we used to do because we're not who we used to be because Christ has made us new and yeah what do we do that as we we look toward heaven and and hope for that day when we'll sin no more so yeah that's good confession isn't simply about catharsis right just getting yeah. something off our chest it's yeah really about bringing into the light that the, you know, a surrender to the Lord that he might empower us to fight 
you know, to wage war yeah. against our sin. I want to kind of circle back. This is maybe just kind of going back to something we were talking about previously, but um, we have a lot of ministry leaders, a lot of pastors who listen here. I wonder if you could offer some counsel um, to them. Anyone who's struggling with that, first of all, how would we know, brother, that this has reached a point of potential disqualification? Maybe we can't know until we talk to, you know, the people in our church, but um, how, how would we know, okay, like yeah. this isn't something— you know, every person struggles with a sin here and there. Um, but especially when it comes to pornography, um, where it's like, well, you know, I'm not seeing a prostitute and I'm not, et cetera, et cetera. How do you know it's reached a level of potential disqualification or disqualification? Yeah. Well, I think first thing is remember, we are to be above reproach in both resisting sin and also repenting of our sin. So there's no leader who's going to be, be perfect in every way. So I think we want to be models of that. But I think the first thing I would ask is, who knows you? Like, who really knows you? And who are you honest with fully? Uh, I was speaking with a pastor recently who said, I, I can't tell any of my pastors where I am. Uh, I, can't, I can't do that. And, you know, he called me because he knows I talk about these things sometimes. And I'm like, bro, that's not a safe place for you. Um, so I would, I would first say, who, who knows you? And you want to create the sort of culture in your church with your leaders to where you can be honest. And that's the expectation. We're all going to be honest. So I'd say first and foremost, if you're, if there are things that you're hiding and you're not telling the full story, I think you're in a lot of danger and you need to reach out and, um, be, begin with yeah, a trusted friend. Um, yeah, I think there's every case is a little bit different in regards to discerning someone's disqualification. Um, I think there's a difference between somebody who looked at uh, something sexually explicit for a minute, got super convicted, deleted the app, went, told their wife, reached out to the elders and said, hey, listen, this is what I've done. Please forgive me. And somebody who's been hiding it and deleting Internet history and like covering up for, you know, for months, like there's there's just two different things there. Right. And that's why I think it, it is always a case-by-case -case basis. But one of the things I just want to encourage brothers who might be deceived, and because I got to a place where I thought, well, I'm just always going to be like this as a pastor, and I'll be okay. And actually, the guilt over my sin makes me a better pastor because I can be empathetic and all this kind of weird stuff you start thinking <laughs> is like, that's not the case. <laughs> like you are, your soul, there's something sick in your soul. And I found myself beginning to withhold some punches. There's still a couple conversations. Well, not, I mean, like verbal, like what I mean by that is, and I'm not hitting anybody. There's enough of that. So just to be clear, I hit nobody. Um, but what I mean by that is there were conversations with people where I'd be counseling, and I didn't say hard words to them because I felt a little bit guilty that I myself wasn't living up to that. And I knew hypocrisy was bad. And that's why the, the ministry of a clear conscience is such an important part. Like we want, Our goal is love from a clear conscience and a sincere faith. So I think, brother, if you if you know that you're you're tempted toward that, that you're kind of making excuses all the time, that means your mind's not clear and your heart's not pure, and you've got to step into the light. And I know it's it's risky. Like as a pastor, you can lose your job. Um, and this is where I would say I would in encourage churches to be kind and patient and generous with your pastors and get them the help that they need. And I mean, if you've just got the kind of culture where if you're honest, you're going to get just fired right away. I'm not sure that that's healthy either. So there's a lot of factors there. I did put together a little um, article for Nine Marks um, a couple of years ago on this, on how do you know when somebody's disqualified uh, as, a, as an elder? And you can okay. a little more detail there. 
Yeah, direct our uh, re- uh, listeners. I was going to say readers. I guess our readers and our listeners to go to go check the article out. The book is called Pure in Heart, Sexual Sin and the Promises of God. The author is Pastor J- – do I say J. Garrett Kell? You got an official No, just Garrett. But that's, that's my, my parents <laughs> – my parents thought it would be a good pen name. So yeah. they gave me the Jason, but no, I go by Garrett. That's good. Well, that's good. That's like I have the C in mind yep. for, my, for my author. But yeah, yeah. Okay, so – Pure in Heart, Sexual Sin, The Promises of God by Garrett Kell. You can pick it up wherever good books are sold. It's from Crossway Publishers. Garrett, thanks so much for spending time with us today. Yeah, Jared, thanks for having me on. And brother, thank you for your ministry. Um, Not just this podcast, but your writing. The Lord's used it greatly. So um, my prayer is that somebody hears this today and will take a step of faith toward Jesus. So Lord, help us. Excellent. Excellent. Dear listener, thanks so much for spending time with us today. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a good review. Share us with your friends. You can do it on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.